Section 53 of Tales from Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. Sands. Tales from Dickens by Hallie Ermine Reeves. Sidney Carton's Sacrifice. That same night of his release, all the happiness of Darnay and Lucy was suddenly broken. Soldiers came and again arrested him. Defarge and his wife were the accusers this time, and he was to be retired. The first one to bring this fresh piece of bad news to Mr. Lowry was Sidney Carton, the reckless and dissipated young lawyer. Probably he had heard in London of Lucy's trouble, and out of his love for her, which he always carried hidden in his heart, had come to Paris to try to aid her husband. He had arrived only to hear at the same time of the acquittal and the rearrest. As Carton walked along the street, thinking sadly of Lucy's new grief, he saw a man whose face and figure seemed familiar. Following, he soon recognized him as the English spy Barsat whose false testimony, years before in London, had come so near convincing Darnay when he was tried for treason. Barsad, who, as it happened, was now a turnkey in the very prison where Darnay was confined, had left London to become a spy in France, first on the side of the king and then on the side of the people. At the time of this story, England was so hated by France that if the people had known of Barsad's career in London, they would have cut off his head at once. Carton, who was well aware of this, threatened the spy and his knowledge, and made him swear that if worst came to worst and Darnay were condemned, he would admit Carton to the cell to see him once before he was taken to execution. Why Carton asked this, Bassad could not guess, but to save himself he had to promise. Next day Darnay was tried for the second time. When the judge asked for the accusation, Defarge laid a paper before him. It was a letter that had been found when the Bastille fell, in that cell that had been occupied for eighteen years by Dr. Manet. He had written it before reason left him, and hidden it behind a loosened stone in the wall, and in it he had told the story of his own unjust arrest. Defarge read it aloud to the jury, and this was the terrible tale it told. The Marquis de Sade Evermond, the cruel uncle of Darnay, when he was a young man, had dreadfully wronged a young peasant woman, who caused her husband's death and killed her brother with his own hand. As the brother lay dying from the sword wound, Dr. Manet, then also a young man, had been called to attend him, and so, by accident, had learned the whole. Horrified at the wicked wrong, he wrote of it in a letter to the Minister of Justice. The Marquis, whom it accused, learned of this, and, to put Dr. Manet out of the way, had him arrested secretly, taken from his wife and baby daughter, and thrown into a secret cell of the Bastille, where he had lived those eighteen years, not knowing whether his wife and child lived or died. He waited ten years for release, and when none came, at last— Feeling his mind giving way, he wrote the account, 
which he concealed in the cell wall, denouncing the family of Evermond and all their descendants. The reading of this paper by Defarge, as may be guessed, aroused all the murderous passions of the people in the courtroom. There was a further reason for Madame Defarge's hatred, for the poor woman who Darnay's uncle had so wronged and bit her own sister. In vain all Dr. Manet pleaded. That his own daughter was now Darnay's wife made no difference in their eyes. The jury at once found Darnay guilty and sentenced him to die by the guillotine the next morning. Lucy fainted when the sentence was pronounced. Sidney Carton, who had witnessed the trial, lifted her and bore her to a carriage. When they reached home, he carried her up the stairs and laid her on a couch. Before he went, he bent down and touched her cheek with his lips. And they heard him whisper, For a life you love. They did not know until the next day what he meant. Carton had, in fact, formed a desperate plan to rescue Lucy's husband, whom he so much resembled in face and figure, even though it meant his own death. He went to Mr. Lorry and made him promise to have ready next morning passports and a coach and swift horses to leave Paris for England with Dr. Manet, Lucy, and himself, telling him that if they delayed longer, Lucy's life and her father's also would be lost. Next, Cotton bought a quantity of a drug whose fumes would render a man insensible, and with this in his pocket early next morning he went to the spy, Barsad, and bade him redeem his promise and take him to the cell where Darnay waited for the signal of death. Darnay was seated, writing a last letter to Lucy when Carton entered. Pretending that he wished him to write something that he dictated, Carton stood over him and held the file of the drug to his face. In a moment the other was unconscious. Then Carton changed clothes with him and called in the spy directing him to take the unconscious man, who now seemed to be Sidney Carton instead of Charles Darnay, to Mr. Lowry's house. He himself was to take the prisoner's place and suffer the penalty. The plan worked well. Darnay, who would not have allowed this sacrifice if he had known, was carried safely and without discovery past the guards. Mr. Lowry, guessing what had happened when he saw the unconscious figure, took coach at once with him. Dr. Menet and Lucy, and started for England that very hour. Miss Pross was left to follow them in another carriage. While Miss Pross sat waiting in the empty house, who should come in but the terrible Madame Defarge? The latter had made up her mind, as Carton had suspected, to denounce Lucy also. It was against the law to mourn for any one who had been condemned as an enemy to France and the woman was sure, of course, that Lucy would be mourning for her husband, who was to die within the hour. So she stopped on her way to the execution to see Lucy and thus have evidence against her. When Madame Defarge entered, Miss Pross read the hatred and evil purpose in her face. The grim old nurse knew, if it were known that Lucy had gone, the coach would be pursued and brought back. So she planted herself in front of the door of Lucy's room, and would not let Madame Defarge open it. This savage Frenchwoman tried to tear her away, but Miss Pross seized her around the waist and held her back. The other drew a loaded pistol from her breast to shoot her, but in the struggle it went off and killed Madame Defarge herself. Then Miss Pross, all of a tremble, locked the door, threw the key into the river, 
took a carriage, and followed after the coach. Not long after the unconscious Darnay, with Lucy and Dr. Manet, passed the gates of Paris, the jailer came to the cell where Sidney Carton sat and called him. It was the summons to die. And with his thoughts on Lucy, whom he had always hopelessly loved, and on her husband, whom he had thus saved to her, he went almost gladly. A poor little seamstress rode in the death-cart beside him. She was so small and weak that she feared to die, and Carton held her cold hand all the way and comforted her to the end. Cruel women of the people sat about the guillotine, knitting and counting with their stitches, as each poor victim died. And when Carton's turn came, thinking he was Darnay, the hated Marquis de Saint-Bermond, they cursed him and laughed. Men said of him about the city that night that it was the peacefulest man's face ever beheld there. If they could have read his thought, if he could have spoken it in words, it would have been these. I see the lives for which I lay down mine, peaceful and happy in that England I shall see no more. I see Lucy and Darnay with a child that bears my name, and I see that I hold a place in their hearts forever. I see her weeping for me on the anniversary of this day. I see the blot I threw upon my name faded away, and I know that till they die neither shall be more honored in the soul of the other than I am honored in the souls of both. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. End of section 53 Recording by J. Sands